I'll be home for Christmas. See, if I were smarter, I would have recorded instrumental of that and put that at the front of the show. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is Chris Abalo's podcast experiment, and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to episode 20 on Christmas Eve Eve. That's right. One of the few holidays where you get to celebrate the day before. Uh, well, not the 23rd, which is today, uh, the 24th. But uh, yeah, I'm home in New Jersey visiting for the holidays, broadcasting from, well, this segment anyway, this little introduction is being broadcast from the room I have at my parents' house in scenic, cold central Jersey. Um, and well, well, we'll get to that. Now, nah, you know, we'll get to it now. Screw it. <laughs> so uh, when it came to flying home, it was actually rather funny because last Monday, which was when I flew, I worked during the day and uh, worked the quote day job. And uh, then flew overnight because I figured anytime you fly, which this is basic stuff, I'm not revealing any secrets here, but flying west to east, you lose three hours because of the time zone changes. So I figured, you know what, anytime I'm going to fly home now, I'll just take overnight flights. That way I can sleep on the plane and just wake up and it's a new day. I could sleep for five, six hours and I should be able to maintain for the majority of the day. Although the last two times I flew, I was a little uh, jet lagged, particularly when I flew home. Back in uh, May, I seemed, I felt really, really jet lagged uh, on both ends, which was unusual for me, but uh, I don't know what that's a side effect of. Uh, anyway, so I was sitting, I happened to be outside uh, during the day while it was working, and it was between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was about 80 degrees and sunny, blue skies, not even any clouds, or at least I couldn't see any. And uh, I looked at the, because I've been following the weather, curious what the weather was going to be like for my first week in uh, New Jersey for winter in almost a year. And uh, yeah, 100% chance of snow and 30 degrees as of 8 a.m. when my flight was landing. So I'm sitting outside thinking in 12 hours, it's going to be a complete 180 (laughs) as far as what my, my life looks like. Here I am sitting outside. Uh, getting paid because I was frankly just sitting in 80 degrees sunshine and in 12 hours I'll be getting off of a plane there will be snow on the ground and it will be 50 degrees less than it is right now and then it has been frankly it's actually been really nice for the last week or so so yeah that was gonna be something of a rude awakening uh, needless to say it wasn't that bad and not much snow had accumulated that was kind of the fear in as much as it was supposed to start snowing in the morning and would have accumulated by the time my flight landed, but it actually wasn't that bad. So uh, the flight landed on time. My father picked me up at the airport. We went and grabbed breakfast at Denny's and headed home. So uh, yeah, here I am in New Jersey once again. I have to say, this is the first time that I've flown Virgin America Airlines because I don't know how recently they've started flying between LAX and Newark, but they do. And they happen to have the uh, cheapest rate this time, um, at least going west to east. Uh, East to west, when I fly back in about two weeks, I will be flying back on uh, United, who I've flown uh, many, many times in in different incarnations. But this is the first time I flew Virgin America, so I was curious how that was going to turn out. And it was surprisingly good. Now, the the plane itself and uh, the seating, because I'm always flying in, in cattle class, also known as coach, where it just kind of packed into that tube, and uh, once in a while they'll come by and give you a 
a shot of Coke, uh, Coca-Cola, not cocaine, by the way, or a, a beverage of your choice because nobody gives you food anymore, uh, or movies, but we'll get to that in a moment. But I was pretty impressed getting to the airport because there aren't many things you can give the city of Los Angeles credit for when it comes to actually being uh, expeditious or speedy, for those of you who don't want to use a silver dollar words to show off like I just did. But I rarely have a problem going through LAX, just in general, uh, checking in for a flight. It, it tends to go really, really fast. So I got to the airport less than an hour before my flight was taking off. Maybe it was a side effect of, <laughs> or an effect maybe, of uh, actually flying late and flying overnight because there probably weren't too many flights going out, particularly almost a week out from uh, Christmas. I'm sure it, there probably weren't as many people. In fact, the flight I took wasn't even that packed. There were at least a dozen empty seats, which was pretty surprising. But uh, getting into the airport and getting through security and all that, not a problem at all. And I was actually impressed with the desk at uh, the Virgin America check-in desk because now I'm pretty much against the the club music being played everywhere, whether it's a barbershop or a restaurant or whatever the hell. Wherever you go, there's some kind of playing somewhere. And uh, that happened to be the case at this Virgin America counter. But the three or so people who were working back there at the time, all in really, really good spirits. And this is 1030 at night. When, uh, I mean, having worked retail a lot and having to work till 11, 30, 12, sometimes later, <laughs> depends, particularly this time of year, I should say, uh, usually not in such a great, happy mood. But everybody was really happy. The guy who checked me in was like, okay, you have a, one bag I see you're checking. It's already paid. Okay, let me tag that for you. There you go. Here's your, here's your receipt for it. And uh, then you just take the follow this way up to your gate and have a nice flight. And I thought, wow, you guys really, really polite because everybody was really upbeat and friendly. And that was kind of unusual because most of the time when you check in at an, at an airline desk, eh, people aren't usually in the best moods. You would think they probably just swap those people out with the people at the post office. But in this case, I was actually impressed with how, uh, how pleasant this uh, particular guy was. And the flight, as I said, was the flight. I uh, was able to nod off for a little bit. Didn't sleep the whole time, but probably got between two and three hours in as far as resting, which, which was good enough until I got home and took a, a good, good long nap in the afternoon. But uh, here's my complaint about airlines. Well, at least, let's say Virgin America for now. We'll, I'll, I'll report back in the next episode, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the return flight and see if things have changed since uh, United and Continental merged because the last time I flew on them was uh, 2011, right around the time they were beginning to merge because they're airlines. Of course, they're in the middle of merging when someone's flying. As far as how Virgin America handles it, it used to be not too long ago. I've been flying regularly for almost 10 years now. In June, it'll be 10 years that I've been flying pretty much every year a couple of flights. And it used to just be the little monitor would drop down, there'd be one movie, and then they'd show a couple of like sitcom episodes or something. For the majority of the flight, it'd be entertainment for maybe four hours out of the uh, five, six hour flight between the east and west. But in this case, now, fortunately, there are monitors in the uh, back of every seat. So you have your own monitor in front of you. The annoying part was if you wanted to watch any, at least the movies that they had, and they had some pretty decent movies, some that just kind of got out of theaters, some that just came on DVD, etc. But $8 a piece. And uh, no, there was no chance I was going to pay $8 to sit and in, in, in the seats as uncomfortable as coach seats are watching a movie on a tiny ass screen in front of me. It's different if you pay $8 and go sit in the movie theater. That's fine. I'm thinking for what I'm getting, do I need to be distracted that badly? No, I have my iPod and I have loads of audiobooks and podcasts and certainly music on there to keep me busy. So 
forget it. I was not going to pay $8 for a movie. But what happened to just the free entertainment in general? What happened to putting one movie on or one free movie? I mean, you don't get food anymore. You don't get peanuts because every kid's allergic to peanuts now. So what what the hell? You just get a beverage and that's it, which is strange because I think it's, it's always been between round trip, three and four hundred dollars for me to fly between uh, New Jersey and Los Angeles. And uh, this and this is over the span of almost 10 years. It's always been 300 something dollars round trip. And all those things have kind of gone away. There are no snacks. There's now no movies unless you pay additional for them. Snacks, it's the same thing. There's a menu inside, and the cheapest you can get away is like $8 for uh, some kind of snack box. You now need to pay when you check your baggage. I mean, what happened? I just don't understand how this increase in everything, where where some things are being cut back, and then you're being charged. Well, basically, you're being charged for everything. You're being charged for your entertainment, any food, and if you're going to fly with any baggage. It's just weird. I mean, the fact that the ticket cost has stayed relatively consistent, okay, that's fine. But everything else now costs money. A bag costs $25 to check, which I happen to be checking. And food and entertainment are now going to cost you another 20 bucks. So now you're talking between 40 and $50 minimum if you for the same things you would have gotten for free a couple of years ago. I don't get it, and it annoys me. Uh, and you know what? Especially in the era when you think they maybe want to keep your attention because people have tablets and laptops and they can watch movies and TV shows on their mobile devices. I don't know, unless it's a way they figure they can make money if you didn't bring your own stuff. Well, you're gonna have to pay to be entertained if you didn't bring a tablet or or something like that. So that is a bit annoying, but uh, otherwise happy to be home. Glad I'm here for Christmas and New Year's and just a bit beyond. It's going to be a not entirely relaxing three weeks because there are a lot of plans because it's the holidays. So there's a lot of family to see and a lot of getting together to do, but it's still going to be nice to be here for a bit. has been. Hey, it's been a week already. It's been great to see my parents, who I miss like crazy, get together with the only podcast that matters, boys, and record uh, quite a few shows, which we've already done. And man, if you don't already, please, I cannot emphasize enough, subscribe to the only podcast that matters on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio, if you use the Stitcher app, or Beyond Pod or BlackBerry Podcast, whatever you use. And, of course, at the home at theonlypodcast.com. I actually was back on the show as of last Friday. I semi, or I should say co-hosted Xmas Cast 2013, which was myself, Andrew, Veronica, and Dan, who you'll probably know if you've listened to the show. I'm sure you know the three of them. And, man, it was a blast. It was hysterical, and we talked a lot of obviously about holiday hijinks and uh, since it's still early enough if you're listening to this the week it goes up then check out xmas cast 2013 or if you're listening to it in the future and uh, you you miss the holidays and you pine for the joy of the holiday season then go back and listen to xmas cast 2013 from the only podcast that matters because it's hilarious but i will be on the show now very very regularly after a minor absence uh the last couple of weeks i haven't been on the show since october But for the next few months, I'll be on there every week, every other week. It'll be consistently enough. So uh, check out the show. Do yourself a favor. Give yourself a uh, Christmas gift. Okay, I want to get down to the uh, conversation. So uh, we'll we'll go through the other items quickly. My complaints are about the airline entertainment thing. That kind of covers that for this episode. Recommendations. If you like the holidays, (laughs) if you hate the holidays, and uh, just tune out now. No, if you like the holidays and you enjoy holiday music, uh, obviously, I'm biased when it comes to guitar players, but check out Ho Ho Hoey, the complete collection by Gary Hoey, which is 95% instrumental versions of holiday classics. 
They're awesome. Three of them are used in the Arrest You, Mary Gentleman sketch video, which, oh, yeah, available on YouTube. There are two Christmas videos at uh, youtube.com slash the only podcast, which uh, you can check out. So go get those in your face. Uh, three of those songs were used in the Arrest You, Mary Gentleman video, and uh, they're great. And they're primarily electric, but they're melodic. They're not just it's not just jerking off on guitar. It's not just being showy. It's actually being uh, very, very melodic. And uh, they're, they're awesome arrangements of the songs. And if you like rock guitar, it should be your thing. If you want something a little more mellow, uh, maybe something a little more accessible, possibly some background for your holiday gatherings, Tommy Emmanuel, All I Want for Christmas. Uh, he's an acoustic guitar player from Australia. He's incredible. And his album is is so, so good. I've actually played it quite a few times. My mother has put it on a few times in the house because she she loves acoustic guitar anyway. And Tommy Emanuel is a master guitar player. So those are two great Christmas albums to check out. Once again, Gary Hoey's Ho Ho Hoey. That's O. (laughs) H-O-E-Y is how you spell his last name. Ho Ho Hoey, The Complete Collection. And All I Want for Christmas by Tommy Emanuel. So get on those. All right. Only in Los Angeles. Once again, I forgot to ask <laughs> this episode's guest for uh, an Only in Los Angeles moment. Uh, but fortunately, I have one. While I was out Christmas shopping within the last week, I uh, went into a store and uh, just kind of cruising the, the toy aisles in part because my friends are stuck in a state of pre-adolescence <laughs> and they all want toys. That's not to say they're getting toys from me, but alas. I was looking around the uh, toy aisles and I saw... Hey, we all know what a Power Wheels is, right? The little battery-powered car that you can ride around in that goes at top speed of about, I don't know, six miles an hour. They have a Power Wheels Fiat. That's right, the J-Lo car. And I haven't seen those anywhere else. Maybe they exist throughout the country, but considering it's a Fiat, and I don't imagine there are any kids who would want it, I have a feeling there are parents who would want their kids to have a little electric fiat to ride around in i say only in los angeles maybe you've seen them nationwide i'm sure you can buy them online because you can buy anything online but uh that struck me as very much being something that was la centric so there you go all right this week i sit down with my friend candace feltz she is a writer and comedian is currently with the groundlings which is great we talk a bit about that and uh, she did studying at second city as well and uh since it's the holidays we talk some Holiday nonsense too. We uh, are, are of course uh, on the the lower rungs of the Hollywood ladder of the entertainment business, of as most guests on the show tend to be, and uh, that's fine. So we had a really really great chat. Happy holidays, and uh, yeah, here we go. And we're okay. You comfy? Obviously, you've been sitting. I am a super comfy. Now. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right, let's get down to it then. All right. I am sitting here with uh, yet another one of my coworkers from the, quote, day job, Miss Candace Feltz. Hey. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Hi. you for sitting in and doing this after the uh, shambles that went into trying to get this holiday show together. Well, it's the holidays. It wouldn't be the holidays without a hot mess, without, right? Without, yeah, pretty much. Generally how it goes. But you know what? You and I have been talking about doing one of these for a while together. So it's, it's just as well. And I know you said you have plenty of holiday stories. Hopefully oh. Griswold has got holiday stories to uh, chat about. But first, let's let's do just a couple of uh, basic things and all that. So tell us where you're from, where you grew up, what the hell you're doing out in L.A., all that good stuff. Uh, well, 
I'm not really from one particular place, I guess. Uh, Chicago is what I claim is oh, home. I meant spiritually. Oh, spiritually. No, totally um, where am I from? Uh, Bethlehem. <laughs> Come on, man. Um, yeah. so, uh, you know where we are. <laughs> you know, all over the place, basically. I, I don't really have like a home, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made my way to L.A. because I'm an actor. I do improv, and I'm a writer. So, you know, trying to make it happen. Of course. We all are. Yes. We all got, we're all on the first kind of rung of the ladder. And that's yeah. pretty much it. The super bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very busy down here. It is so say. busy. And uh, you recently got into the Groundlings too, which is awesome. I did. Yeah. I'm working on trying, uh, theoretically trying to work my way through <laughs> their, uh, their professional improv program. So I'm in the first level. Now you did, I mean, you and I talked about this, so, mm-hmm. but obviously they haven't heard it yet. Right. Of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> you did some, stu- you did do some studying at Second City? Yeah, or? I did. Um, so in Chicago, they do levels A through E for their improv program. Okay. And then once you like graduate from that, you can audition for the conservatory, which is sort of their professional program. Ah, um, I so I didn't finish level E because I went back and forth about moving out here and just figured I can finish out here. Come to find out they do their second city program completely differently in LA. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but I did get to do a show while I was there. I got cast really early on, um, in a, like a coaches ensemble type thing. So I got to work with a bunch of different levels of, uh, students studying with, um, uh, an improv teacher and professional improviser coaching us. (laughs) So, uh, so it was a lot of fun. And then I came out here and auditioned for groundlings and got accepted. So, Cool. See, I, I'm kind of leaning a bit more towards the groundings myself, which, uh, as, as I've mentioned to you before, that I want to take the uh, sketch writing yeah. classes over there. I mean, I have I have friends who have gone through. I have one who went through Second City uh, out here, not too recently, but still did say, uh, did, did recommend it. Mm-hmm. I have two friends who went through uh, UCB and one who's still uh, currently performing mm-hmm. with UCB. Yet the groundings appeals to me in part because uh, the classes are... Substantially cheaper than some of the other ones. Yes, they are. But at the same time, you can't argue with the people who have come out of the Groundlings. I mean, Uh, no. What percentage of Saturday Night Live cast members from the last thirty years have come out of there? It's it's incredible, and that's no disrespect to certainly uh, Second City or or UCB. No, because we definitely had a a lot in the. I mean, I would say seventies, eighties was was heavily Second City um, cast. But uh, but a lot of the Second City people also, once they made their way out to L.A., started doing Groundlings as well. So it's sort of a lot of crossover. Um, they have similar schools of thought. Groundlings is just more character-driven, which is something I'm not used to. And I'm finding that is so fun. So <laughs> much fun. Um, just to get as crazy as you can and, and find the tiniest thing that can be amplified into something that's ridiculous yeah just a whole just a whole characterization yeah. which mm-hmm. is which is interesting to kind of build that around because even and that's one of the reasons that appeals to me because any stuff i've done with my friends uh with a few exceptions it's kind of playing an exaggerated kind of cartoonish version mm-hmm. of myself so to play somebody who's just completely different from me in in so many regards is uh that's the part that that does appeal to me just because I don't know how to do that. I have a terminal case of being myself every day anyway. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's, it's to actually get into a character yeah. and have to perform as something completely different. There's the part of me that thinks, "All right, well, let's let's see how good you are at, at stuff like that." Aside from the writing, I mean, as I said, the performing speaks for itself. But the um was there any any one in particular or anything cuz was second city the first group you you worked with or studied with? Was there any Yeah. Um, I was, uh, going to Columbia college in Chicago studying theater, um, theater in a classical sense was not really my thing. Mm. I always was more into film. Um, and, uh, wanted to do, they had a comedy studies hybrid program with second city that I was actually looking into while I was still at Columbia. And then I bailed on Columbia because 
art school is expensive and yeah. uh just was working in chicago anyways and was like you know what what the hell i'm gonna take some second city classes because i want to and then did not realize that i was gonna fall in love with improv the way i did and there's just nothing like it just, oh, just yeah. such a good time and i just had a blast and and it was just um I appreciate a lot and love the cohesiveness that goes along with, with being part of an improv troupe. And when you really gel my second city, uh, class, we went through, um, we would lose and gain a couple members per class, but generally speaking, it was like a core group of us and those kids, um, I just adore them and the trust we had and the fun that we had in class just to really have this unbridled sort of wide open space to just Mm -hmm. be like, I don't give a shit what comes out of your mouth. (laughs) I got your back and we're going to be fucking crazy and it's going to be awesome. And, uh, I love that. I just think it's, it's amazing. And it's really cool because in, in groundlings, they focus a lot on, um, the whole program is, is gradual steps. And, and if you are lucky enough to get invited to their upper levels, you're writing your own sketches for your own characters that you then perform. Um, which is a little bit different than second city, how this, how the way second city does it. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to try that out. So we'll see. Yeah, that, that is good. It seems every, I'm going to say the, the three big ones, because right. they're the ones I'm most aware of with yeah. second city, UCB and groundlings seem to have their own their own system, let's say, as mm-hmm. far as how they structure things and all that. I mean, it's, even when I went to school, like there's a way Musicians Institute teaches music. There's a way Berkeley, Berkeley College of Music in Boston teaches mm-hmm. music. So um, it seems everybody kind of has just their system that works. And um, just having heard interviews and all that, I've heard different sides. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to certainly single anybody out, but I've heard di- people from uh, the different improvs, particularly Groundlings and UCB, almost kind of like take shots at each other for the yeah. way they do things. And I'm like, is it really that competitive? Does it need to be that? No. Interesting. No, it doesn't. It's like, come on. It's all about, I mean, it's not just about having fun, but the idea is it's, it's funny and entertaining. So, uh, I always thought it was weird when there's kind of that, uh, a little bit of cynicism that, that goes with it. I'm, and I'm not suggesting that that's where, uh, anyone you're working with is coming from. Was there any big push though? I mean, as far as, I mean, Chicago, as, as we said, like in the seventies and eighties and all that with second city kind of, uh, migrating down, let's say from, uh, from Canada and all that, was there one big push that brought you to second city or was it just because because it's there it, it seemed like the, the better option compared to you doing the, the typical theater stuff well because i'm an actor and we have that super awesome quality of always needing to be the center of attention um <laughs> Tell me about uh it. All, i'm not an actor but i'm a ham yeah exactly and ham, that's so. uh yeah we all have that that awesome quality that's what theoretically would hopefully make us good at our jobs um yeah. i was working with um a girl at, I was working at this little tiny doctor's office and, um, she was always just like, you are one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. And I was dealing with a lot of patients. I was in a chiropractic office and, uh, I did this patient care thing. And so I would use that time to just be stupid and goofy and funny and Mm -hmm. see what happens. And everybody was like, you got to do something with this. And my friend was like, I'm going to start signing you up for open mic nights and they're going to just call you and be like, Hey, you're signed up on Thursday. And I was like, if you do that, I will fucking kill you. I'm like, I've never done stand up. Don't do that to me. And she was like, well, then you need to do something with this. And so I figured, you know what? I'm in Chicago. This is the heart of improv. My friends think I'm funny. My fiance, that's one of the you know, her most favorite things is that I'm a big goof and, you know, I like to make her laugh. And so she was like, do it. So I said, if I'm going to do it, this is the place to do it. So I just went to Second City, signed up, and that was that. So I, I didn't necessarily grow up with this, you know, I was never one of those people that 
had to watch SNL every single weekend. You know, I was mm. just, I had a lot of respect for those people, but it was never on my absolute to-do list every single weekend. Um, I just sort of grew into not being afraid of having people be like, that was a dumb joke. <laughs> and so I decided, what the hell? I'll try it out and see yeah, what happens. Yeah, you know? as a point where I think you just need to go for it. Yeah, and I think that's just what happened is my, well, that and my friend was going to be like, I'm going to start signing you up for stand-up. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, like I don't want to do stand-up. <laughs> Let me just try improv for a while. So Yeah, don't embarrass me into performing, please. Yeah, please don't, don't do, do that. that. Yeah, and stand-up is a different a different beast that I have not. Um, yeah, it is. I, I don't think I have the the... I don't think I could do it in as much as I can't see myself getting up there and just doing the, you know how some things are like other things kind of exactly yeah. delivering jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, a, a smart ass in every respect. Mm-hmm. And hence where something like doing a podcast kind of comes in because just right. to, in, in conversation, I can be funny and all that, but to kind of get up and do some kind of structured material, not to say everybody does like all standup comedians do, but there's the part of that where I think, I don't know if I could get up and do the same thing every night, which is funny only because in as much as with playing, music and playing in bands and all that right. you literally have to do like if you're if you're a band that's been around for so long you're playing the same songs every night but i feel like when you're just trying to be funny to kind of get up and do the same thing all the time and i'm not i'm not being critical of anyone who does because certainly there are people who you you don't know that they're working they're just able to be so casual and everything seems new the first time mm-hmm. uh, you hear it even though they've been doing it for 20 weeks prior to maybe uh when you get to see them perform, but there's something about, I don't know, just being fresh every time that, that I really enjoy. And that's where the improv thing also appeals to me too. Yes. Just because you need to roll with the spontaneity and you're not, even if you're creating a character, like the, the, the character centric uh, style of the groundlings, you still need to, even though there is some framework, there's still a lot of play that's, that's going on in there. And oh, that's yeah. one of the things I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Stand up is so, um, I feel even on the nights that, you know, and it is a lot of, of repetition, you know, I mean, you find a show that works and you find writing that works and you just go with that. But, uh, I feel like you'd be so in your head all the time, just making sure you're delivering the joke correctly and yeah. you know, things are right. And the part I love about improv is that I can get on stage and, you know, if I'm with a group of people that I trust, there's literally nothing, nothing happened. My brain just clears and I just take what's being given to me and go with it. And um, I love that because I'm very type A in my regular life. So I, all I do is constantly think and process things. Mm-hmm. So then when I get on stage with improv or when I'm in class and improv, it's just, it's amazing to just be able to like shut your brain off and say, bring it on. Yeah. You and know? just go with it. And just go just with it. And literally just ride the wave of whatever's s- happening. Yeah. And some crazy shit. It comes out. It, it, so. And that's great. See, I'm methodical as well in anything I did. And I even said, like, if I did stand up, I would literally have to have a routine written out and mm-hmm. I'd end up performing it. And I thought that wouldn't really be so much my thing because I'd, I'd rather be more freewheeling and kind of spontaneous with it. And I'm sure with practice that would happen, mm-hmm. but there's still, um, there's still that methodical part of me mm-hmm. that says, I'd want to have this structure to it and I want to go here and have the sequence and all that. And that's probably because I consider more than anything else. I, I consider myself to be a writer first, right? where mm-hmm. I just, I just feel like I can write things out in a way that as much as I'm not I don't have hangups as far as uh, speaking things or mm-hmm. even doing certainly doing something like this. It's uh, I just feel like there's a certain way I can kind of organize my thoughts through writing and get things out where it still sounds like me. And I just felt like it, it would seem so. I don't know if contrived is the right word, but that's just so for funny. Me I was going to say contrived. Yeah, for yeah. me to do stand up where it's it's not spontaneous and where it is so structured, I almost feel like that would be going against what I think would be the nature of it, or at least mm-hmm. what I would like it to be for myself. So. Yeah, I don't. I never thought I could do that, but that's why the improv thing appeals to me. Where at least you can just kind of get up there and, and be goofy 
within a situation or within a character mm-hmm. uh, just for the sake of making people laugh, which is it's just fun. It is. It's, I mean, it's, it's so fun. I don't as much as I I like. Well, not that I like uh, getting attention, but I you know I, I consider uh, we myself do. it's okay. I am. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't I don't crave it, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't. And I haven't performing music either where it's like, I need to get on stage. Like, I've never been one of those people. But it's just fun for me to make people laugh. It yeah. just always has been. So there's that part where it's just, yes, we're doing it kind of for selfish reasons. Because, mm-hmm. like, isn't this fun? And look at me and I'm cute. But there's still the part where it's just like, yeah, these people are getting a kick out of it. This is cool. It's fun to make people laugh. Yeah. When I was uh, when I did my show at Second City, we did a short run. It was like a three or four week show. I mean, really short. And I can't remember exactly. It was, it was October 2012. And I don't remember exactly something had just happened in the world and I sound like a total airhead now because I can't remember what it was, but we've had some pretty heinous events happen in succession yeah, in the last couple the of last years, two years, especially. Um, yeah. but I remember something specifically on one of our nights, uh, the, um, girl who introduced the entire show was saying, you know, I want you guys to sit back and just enjoy this for what it is because the world is a crazy place. And, and you know, these moments or this hour of a show is, can be an escape for yeah, you. Escapism, yeah. yeah. And it was just, it was so wonderful to be able to, to be on stage and to make people laugh in that, in that sort of context of the world when they leave, this is shit and kind of crazy right now, but we can make them laugh for a little yeah. snippet Take of time. Take a ride with us. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. You know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's purely selfless. Cause no, no, it's okay. Totally not. Performing <laughs> that is amazing. Selfish. Yeah, exactly. It so, really, uh, really is. But there is something to be said about about being able to to give people just a, a brief sort of hiatus. Oh yeah, from to give them that the reprieve from everyday yeah. life is is great. That's and that's one of the appeals of of doing podcasting for me mm-hmm. is that when people uh, listen to something like maybe not some I mean, as much as I like talking to people I find interesting like yourself mm-hmm. on this show when people Thank listen you. to no of course um, people listen to the only podcast that matters the other show available on iTunes please subscribe <laughs> and write a review and, and uh, give us five stars and all that other stuff but people like that escapism of listening to a bunch of people just chat for an hour and just oh, yeah. thinking about you know how just how, oh you know it's, there's that little piece of the world that's just like oh I guess everybody kind of is the same and talks about the same stuff mm-hmm. maybe not everything but there's kind of that uh, commonality where as much as we're talking about what's really going on you can just kind of enjoy yourself for mm-hmm. a bit if you're sitting listening. even when you're sitting in traffic which is well, we spent a lot of time doing. Oh, out here. good God! <laughs> you just put something on, and uh, you know, you put on a. I mean, I listen to podcasts all the time in the car. Yeah, um, probably I mean, more than music, but mm-hmm. just because it's like it's that distraction. Mm-hmm. It, it's taking you out of it, and that's the fun part about performing, and, and it, even with being funny. That's one of the things I really, really dig about it. Yeah, and I, I think there's also like a level of um, not feeling alone, like you were saying. You know, oh, people listen to the podcast and think. I talk about the same thing with my friends. It's like, yeah, we're not alone in this world that we think this sort of thing is funny or, or we talk about the same stupid things or we maybe did something the same stupid, silly yeah, way as somebody else. You know, when whatever. you really think your whole life, you're like, I'm the only idiot that does this. Mm-hmm. You're not when you see somebody else and, or hear somebody else talk about it. So I think it's, um, I think it's just that human connection that we, we so much so crave, but have taken ourselves so far away from right. in the world that we're in now, how we've gone from improv to human connection is beyond me, but it's, here hey, we are. Cause this is just a regular chat. Exactly. Right now. This is exactly, exactly. what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I think that's why, cause I do the same thing. I love to just sit and listen to people talk and just, you know, what is your life about? Yeah. I and mean, it, it takes you out of yourself too. And yeah. I think we, we kind of all need to do that anyway, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons that I enjoy listening to other people's thoughts, mm-hmm. like putting my own out there just because, there, as, as long as you get something out of it, then, then Hey, and if other people are getting something out of what you do, 
then that really is where the satisfaction is. Even exactly. if we're, we're living the not quite as glamorous Hollywood life as uh, people think we are. <laughs> not yet, my friend. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It's we're slowly but surely. Yeah. Who are you uh, into? Who are people who you look up to at this stage and all that? Are people who make you either... Right, oh, let's go with this. Let's make it a two-parter. Uh, the people who inspired you to be funny or maybe t- you took some cues from and the people who continue now who you look at and say, that's the type of person I want to be like. That's the kind of entertainer. It doesn't just need to be comedy, just in general. The people who you look up to and who got you interested in the first place. Um, gosh. I've been a, a ham since I was little. Like, <laughs> I came out of the womb showing off. <laughs> and uh, I was lucky enough that my mom's brother, my Uncle Jerry, um, is the biggest goofball I know. And um, not to say that my parents were necessarily like, stop being so much of the center of attention. But, you know, when your kid is the kid that is orchestrating plays at, you know, family functions and things and nobody else wants to participate in that, you kind of just go like, just just sit down for a little bit and be mm-hmm. calm. And Uncle Jerry was kind of like the guy that let me be stupid. And he was so funny and has always been one of the funniest people I've ever known. And he just takes every opportunity to turn it into something to uh, laugh about Mm -hmm. and always just sort of let me be free and goofy and stupid. And instead of being like, okay, calm down for just a second, would just sort of go along with me. So I think, um, he was an inspiration for me in the sense of just, just encouragement. Yeah. And also just, he was never anything but himself, his goofy self in every single situation. He never put on like a, I'm Jerry and I'm blah, blah, blah. Like he was just like, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big goofy turd and that's fine. Um, and so I think I, I, I grew up with, um, him around a lot. And, and so that, that inspired me. And I think professionally speaking, oddly enough that you asked this, um, I think my biggest inspiration that is currently around in Hollywood right now is Melissa McCarthy. Um, oh yeah, she's, yeah, she's a monster performer. Yeah. Just she hands really down. Does. She can do absolutely no wrong in my eyes. And, um, <laughs> You know, I've been living in LA since February, have not had a chance to really, um, my celebrity spottings are pretty low on the celebrity scale, if you will. Not I have the a people friend. you want to bump into. Yeah, exactly. I always see like this, the, okay, I don't want to say stupid people, but the people that I'm just sort of like, <laughs> cool, whatever. And um, I actually got to see her for the first time the other day and she smiled and waved at me and I almost burst into tears because I think from uh, from a, span- a standpoint of of aspirations you never want to aspire to be somebody else because you want to be your own brand of funny or whatever it is but if if i can achieve half of what she's achieved career-wise and still be a decent human being like she is right i i feel like i would have succeeded i just feel like she is absolutely fearless there is nothing that anybody can say to her that she's going to say you can go screw off i'm not doing that she's going to go <laughs> yeah i'll give it a try it may be a friggin' disaster but what the hell why not right you know? she's willing to do it exactly and um i just think uh t- to have started where she started and um she's a groundlings graduate and uh you know, just start on gilmore girls in such a sort of a weird role for what she's doing now and to come full circle with that and now be, you know, an Emmy winner and an Academy Award nominated actress for a comedy, which is unheard of. Oh, it's way, unheard you know, of. Yeah. um, it's just, it's amazing to me. So, um, I, I pull a lot from her and I also appreciate her because she stayed grounded. Uh, she's also, f- uh, from the Midwest as well. And, and she just yeah. at no point in time has she ever seemed like the person that said, this is who I used to be. And this is who I am now. It's just, she's always been, that same person just mm-hmm. succeeding in things she wants. And I just think she's hilarious. I just she, think her comedic timing is just, just 
as close to perfect as you can possibly get. <laughs> you know what's interesting too? Actually, I was um, I've lost count of how many times I watched it, but when I watched the outtakes for uh, the Heat, no, you can oh actually God. hear. Oh, I know, and you and I have talked at length about that. But she, um, you could hear she still has that little bit of like Midwestern. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, like, there's still mm-hmm. a little bit of that kind of inflection in there, and I kind of like when people don't lose that mm-hmm. when they still kind of sound like. I mean, I don't have much of a Jersey accent to begin with. A few no, you words do not. come out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then again, everybody's impression is Jersey Shore and the Sopranos. So I mean, compared to that, I sound <laughs> true like, story. I sound like Johnny Everyman, but uh, I, I don't really have much of an accent except sometimes some words will come out like "mall" or "talk." Will just come out <laughs> funny. And, you'll, and now that I brought it up, you're going to catch me here and there. But uh, there are there are those moments. I'm going to call you on it every time. It, it totally will, which is fine. I'm all about. Uh, I'm fine. I'm all about nitpicking people for no good reason. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's part of being a ham and a ball buster too. Yeah, well. And uh, I, I like it when people still kind of maintain the their their sound, mm-hmm. let's say, because as much as there's this impression of, uh, I, I think when people go to an impression, at least outside of America, when they go to an impression, they kind of go for like a, a southerner. Like I guess they yes. just assume America's made up of Texas and a bunch of little provinces yes, surrounding exactly. Texas. <laughs> exactly. Everybody defaults and they're like, I'm an American, like southern accent. And um, it's funny how all the different kind of dialects, like when you hear somebody who's still, nothing against like, let's say Ben Affleck, but he probably wouldn't have gotten as far as he's gotten if he sounded like he came from Boston oh, yeah, no. all the time. Yeah, absolutely not. He probably wouldn't be able to stand it. Yeah. So I, I understand in some regards, but I do like when there's still that that little bit of, like I said, hearing her accent and stuff when she's out of character where you think like... Oh, she's just she's just a midwestern chick. Yeah, like, there's just the part that just makes me think. You know, it, it kind of gives her that uh, every woman quality, I think. But she is fucking hilarious. Yeah, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've gotten headaches from laughing at that. Oh, God. And I, I mean, just... when I saw the heat from the first time, I was in pain. I was literally in pain between her and Sandra Bullock, who's yeah. my favorite actress anyway. I was literally. My stomach hurt. I yeah. should have come out of the theater with six pack abs. I was in so much <laughs> exactly, pain yeah. from laughing at this movie. I was just like, I can't, I can't take it. And I'm looking forward to. Um, actually, I'll be I'll brought it home uh, with me as you people are listening to it. I'm back in New Jersey, but you've heard about that already in the monologue. And uh, I'll be watching <laughs> that movie with my parents for the first time. And I'm just going to sit with the remote in my hand to pause it every time they lose it because I know they will. Yeah, you and, can't uh, not. I mean, it's it's you. Of course, I've probably watched that ten times since I got. That's my favorite movie of the year. I probably watched oh. it ten times in the last two months since it came out on on Blu-ray. Yeah, I haven't um, purchased a movie the day it came out on on DVD or Blu-ray in probably five years because I just haven't had anything that's been so good that I had to have it, mm-hmm. and I had to buy that the day it came out, and I had to watch it Immediately. as soon as possible. Yeah. And I saw it twice in the theater, and I don't see movies twice in the theater anymore because <laughs> it costs so damn much money. Um, yeah. And both times I was crying, and I was just like, "How? How?" And I I love so much that she is like epitomizes the idea of getting so far away from who you are. Like I love to watch her in interviews when she talks about how many times she says fuck in all of her movies and Mm -hmm. her tiny, adorable Midwestern farm parents. And she's (laughs) every time she's just like, God bless my mom. Every time, every time I say the F word, she just says, Ooh, you know? And just the fact that she's so willing to make her mom feel so like, Oh, because she's so willing to just go as far possibly Mm -hmm. as she can. I think, Aside from the heat and everything else she's ever been in. Uh, I think one of the funniest <laughs> things I ever saw her do is she did an SNL skit um, about Hidden Valley Ranch. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. She did this. Oh, my God. You, you've you got to find the clip. It was. It was I'm, I'm going to have to. It was hands down one of the funniest things I've ever seen. She she dressed up in this gray sweatsuit, old school sweatpants, old school sweatshirt with a cat on it. 
and was just eating. I'm going to look for it right now while you describe it. Go Good. ahead. Yeah, you should. Um, I'm listening. And she went to this, uh, her and two other, two other uh, cast members went to this taste test for Hidden Valley Ranch. And what she does with it is just, was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And then at the end, you have to watch the video to really see it. But uh, at the end, she ends up doused in ranch dressing. And it's just to think of the whole idea of how fast SNL moves. She did that. And did a skit like two skits later and was just, just on point, you know? <laughs> and I mean, when you watch the video, you'll see the, right. the no, end that, of it is just, it's just out of control. But it's um, like the perfect training for it though, too, coming up and doing the, um, as far as having to do perform, doing essentially live theater, improv mm-hmm. theater in yep. front of people. So it's almost like the perfect training. That's probably why so many people from, from the Growlings end up doing SNL mm-hmm. because it's literally what they do every week. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do that as a, as a, a job yeah. has to be like the dream and stuff like that. I, I'm going to take a quick intermission. You people won't notice because uh, the space will be edited out, but we're going to watch <laughs> it so I can specifically see what you're talking about because I know this is going to be hilarious. It is one of the funniest things I've ever watched. Wow. It's a shame that that's not actually available in good quality yeah. on YouTube. We watched a very kind of bootleg version of it. Super bootleg, but yeah. that is awesome. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to... Check out that because uh, some Saturday Night Live is still on Netflix. I'm actually going to have to look it up. So uh, if you look up from, I guess, a year or two ago, uh, Melissa McCarthy's appearance, this Hidden Valley Ranch sketch is hysterical. It's, it's been a long time coming. And even playing mm-hmm. someone like, not to be critical, and I, look, Gilmore Girls wasn't written for me in the first place. Right, of course. But I feel like a character was uh, maybe a little bit more kind of um, like a generic or stock character for that yes. kind of show. Whereas... Um, I mean, so that's even been some people's complaints about a show like Mike and Molly because mm-hmm. she's like, let's say the, the, the straight character where she's not the crazy one and he's kind of like the yeah. funny one. But uh, apparently that's changed in this, this past season. I haven't seen it yet. I'm actually behind on uh, Mike and Molly. But yeah, they, uh, they tried to bit. flip it and um, she quit her job and is like trying to do, figure out what she wants now. So it yeah. is much more, um, she gets to do some of the crazier stuff now. Cool. I think she tried to write a uh, erotica novel. <laughs> A la Fifty Shades. Um, it was that was that was a funny episode. Um, That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't think when she did Gilmore, I, I don't think necessarily she was um, that character. I think was was written pretty flat. Yeah, um, and that's nothing I against the writers, so. but you're exactly right. She was a secondary sort of booster character, if you will. And I think Melissa just went in and, and made her three dimensional. When yeah. I, I don't know that she was initially intended to be that. So I just think she has. No, she, she could, no, her, her she could do a horrible incredible. movie, and I mean, a lot of people hated Identity Thief, and I still didn't care. I was like, she's I know, I know a lot of people are just like, that doesn't look funny at all. I'm like, you're nuts, because Jason Bateman's hilarious, too. I mean, as much as he kind of has his his thing, it's mm-hmm. great, and it's hilarious, but he kind of has that temperament yeah. in mm-hmm. everything he does, but that was such an incredible teaming. I thought that was brilliant. And then next summer, uh, the movie she wrote with uh, her husband is coming out, and I was like... I was really happy to hear Dan Aykroyd was playing her father. I was like, that's great. Oh, my God. I haven't heard that yet. That is amazing. It's this movie called Tammy. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. I don't remember what it's about, but uh, the cast is pretty impressive aside from just uh, her and uh, Dan Aykroyd. It's a a lot of people. I mean, at this point, she could probably do anything she wants. Yeah. I I think she is – I don't think she's peaked – 
as high as she will. I think I think she'll she'll hit oh, better moments. Some more. But um but she's in a really good place right now that I think she has a uh, free run of a lot of things. I, I feel like right now she could even go to anybody and say she wants to do a really heavy drama and they'd say, What the hell we'll give you a chance. You know, uh, I, I mean think so, yeah. And that's such a sh- um, that, that window's open for such a brief period of time for oh, everybody yeah. too. Yeah. It does make total sense. And as actually there's um my friends have been asking me a lot. Not that I've been following it heavily, but just... It's so funny, because being in proximity here, maybe you get this too. People ask you oh, about yes. whether or not Hollywood rumors are true. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, because I have the inside track. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, clearly everybody <laughs> runs it past me. I haven't been here for a year, but I'm best friends with everyone. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so well, that's what I tell everybody. They're just like, so what's it like out there? I was like, it's just like what you think it is. I, yeah. do, I eat sushi off Naked Playmates with George Clooney every night of the week. <laughs> I was like, this is my life now. And, um, <laughs> I've already had six plastic surgeries. It's going great. Yeah, of course. People have asked me that, like some of my friends have said, um, are they definitely going to do a sequel to The Heat? Are they going to do more and all that? And uh, that's a tough one because as much as I'd love to see one, I get, and I've talked about this on uh, this show before, but um, comedy sequels usually aren't great. That's kind of a tough nut to crack because they're, they're very, very few. This is going to turn into an accidental transition uh, in a second um, because I feel like the, the uh, vacation movies peaked with Christmas Vacation. Yes. And we'll get to the holidays shortly. Yes. But, um, I don't know. I'm okay if they don't do another one, but I really, really want to see more of all those characters. I heard they're doing a spinoff with the two girlfriends of her brothers in uh, the movie. The uh, I don't remember the characters' names. Gina and... Oh, um... I forget the other one's name. Um, those two women, they apparently... They, there was talk about them getting their own movie. And I thought for secondary characters, that might seem kind of random. I wouldn't. I, but, don't, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, yeah. I, and I, I also don't know that the second movie is secured yet. Um, I know there was a lot of talk about it, but I don't know for sure if it's if it's an absolute. The story I got because I'm, I'm, I'm in Hollywood of is uh, <laughs> that after the uh, because uh, the test screenings went so well, like they had like a 96 percent rating or something like that. That was according to an interview with Paul Feig, actually. Oh. Um, that the test screenings all scored in the high 90s, which stands to reason because it was actually ended up being it made more than Weird the Miller. So I believe it's the number one comedy of 2013, which is great. Yeah, and um, apparently. Before it came out, uh, they had uh, Fox had struck a deal with uh, Katie Dippel, the writer, for uh, to at least write a screenplay for a sequel. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe there's any obligation from yeah. the two leading ladies to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. Either way, um, actually, because Paul Feig is doing uh, his next movie is going to be with Melissa McCarthy, where she plays this. I don't I don't remember the name. I think he said the title, or at least the working title. And I don't know if they started it yet, but she plays like a female secret agent. Like oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. James Bond. Mm-hmm. And uh, I-, I love him anyway. I love the way he shoots everything. I love the way um, Bridesmaids was done. And of course, the way the heat was done. I-, I would love to get him in here, though, and-, and ask him about all that. Because imagine having to harness that energy. Imagine having to work with somebody as, not that she's manic as a person, but somebody who's just able to deliver something a different way each time. Yep. That's got to be insane. And then have to pick which take you want to use. Yeah, exactly. I can't even imagine what that's no. like. And uh, I dig doing, doing the directing thing, too. But I'm thinking... I don't, that's got to be tough. <laughs> it's got to be tough, but it's also got to be a dream. Oh, I mean, can you totally. imagine... To work with people so talented like that. Yeah, you cast somebody like that and you've got 15 different takes and every single one of them are good versus you work with somebody like some other individuals that I could mention, but I won't. <laughs> uh, and you do 15 takes and you got nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just feel like, good God, what I would give, I would, I would do the stupidest job I could possibly do if I mm-hmm. could work on that set and just get a glimpse into what that's like and what it's like to see her work and to see them work. Cause the two of them, I was unsure 
at first, I think, of how that whole thing was going to go. Because I was like, that's an interesting casting choice. It, it, yeah. But, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, it um, worked. It worked. It yeah. Worked. Ways we can't even quantify. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I would like to think that um, because they became such good friends on the set that they would both be in for a second one. But, you know, I mean, look at the cast of Bridesmaids. There was a lot of talk about a second one, and, and that's so far been that, yeah, pretty shut that's down. Something. In that case, that cast was... And I, and I get why, because mm-hmm. it is something that's hard to replicate. And how do you do it? Like, that, that was every, it seems to be, everyone's reservations, like with The Hangover Part 2, because they basically just did the same movie over again, yeah. and there's that whole, and further fed into the belief that comedy sequels just don't work, because you end up right. kind of retreading what you already did. And as much as they, you could take a sequel to Bridesmaids in the direction of, oh, well, now Melissa McCarthy's character is getting married to uh, right. Air Marshal. Right. Air Marshal John. <laughs> John. And uh, <laughs> then it's like, hey, we're going to do this all again. As, as cool as it might be, it's kind of hard to not make it a, a retread. Yeah, you um, almost don't want to touch it because it was so good for what it was. You don't want to take that risk. It's yeah. such a big risk. And you're also, cause you're also kind of competing with yourself. Like what, one of my favorite movies, my top 10 of all time is fish called Wanda. And I love fierce creatures. The not sequel, but as John Cleese called it an equal, which is the same cast, completely different story, completely different characters, but be, it didn't do well because in his words, the problem with fierce creatures wasn't fierce creatures. The problem with fierce creatures was a fish called Wanda because right. everybody was comparing it. And it, exactly. it's true. That really is, Compared to something like any Transformers movie, and they're all the same movie, it's totally acceptable. Exactly, <laughs> right. You do that with comedy, and everybody turns coat really quickly, or they're yeah. like, oh, this sucks. We've seen this before. Yeah. So it, it really is tough. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they... I would love to see more, but if they didn't do it, I, I'd be okay with it, because we, we still have the heat, and we still have, I'm sure, plenty of movies coming from uh, at least Melissa McCarthy, a lot of hilarious comedy. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to think the the heat opened up a almost a different genre of, you know, Sandra Bullock's been doing rom-coms for her entire career. So yeah. open up a different genre of comedy for her almost, you know, I mean, we didn't see her as this girl who needed to be saved by a guy, you know, she was saved by a friend essentially in this. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit different. It's a completely different role for her. Uh, not completely different, but a different version of the sort of lost girl yeah. needing to be found. So I wonder too, if that, if that doesn't, um, open up some different avenues for her and we see some different, completely different shit from her in the next few years, which would be cool. See, I dig that too. I also kind of like that there isn't, um, as you can see on the wall, one, another one of my favorite movies, Beverly Hills Cop. Right. One of the reasons I love that movie and it's one of the things I really like about the Heat was that there wasn't this forced love story to bog it down. Yes. Um, or even the first Lethal Weapon movie. Like there isn't something, while there may be loved ones involved mm-hmm. and there's a, a kidnapping in Lethal Weapon just like in every Shane Black movie. uh, (laughs) Of course. And it's set at Christmas time, too. (laughs) I kind of like that they don't shoehorn that in to try to try to create some kind of phony stakes where it's like, oh, this character's falling for this or there's the damsel in distress. I I do kind of like that that didn't bog down the story at all and that it was just about these two women who are great at their jobs. That was one of the criticisms from women as far as anything I read or anything I'd heard from anyone complaining about the movie is just like these career women are impossible to work with and that they they don't want to be. Uh, wives and mothers and all this other stuff uh, really goes to show what they think or what the director thinks about uh, or the writer uh, thinks about uh, what a a woman's role should be or how a woman should be if she's a crew woman. It's like, it's a goddamn movie. Oh my God, will you calm down? Yeah, not to mention, I mean, you could get, (laughs) we could sit here and I could go into a whole pseudo-feminist rant about all that crap Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I mean, the whole entire point is, is 
her character, Melissa McCarthy's character in that movie was, was made aggressive by her background. And I think we can all agree Boston is a, a hard knock city. That's not, oh, yeah. you know, nothing is tiny and precious there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Sandra Bullock's character was, you know, a tight ass trying to make it in the world. And I mean, yes, those people can argue all that shit as well, but you can also sit here and argue that one is forced to be like that when they're sitting competing with men at work and blah, 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 all that crap. You know what I mean? But I I think what I loved so much in the heat was exactly what you said, that, that lack of a love story. And I'm really, um, hoping that, uh, and bridesmaids started to do it. Um, I, I appreciated bridesmaids because they, you know, Kristen Wiig and Eddie Mumler were just trying to tell a story of a bunch of girls surrounding a wedding shit that happens on a regular basis. Now, I don't know many stories of people shitting in sinks, but <laughs> well, still, uh, you know, telling this basis story about uh, about something surrounded by a wedding. So yes, there was an inevitable love story involved in that, right? Uh, because it's about a wedding. However, um, I think the heat really opened up a different door of of female focused movie not driven by needing to be saved by yeah. a guy, and not or, that we're or just a romantic relationship, or just a romantic relationship, yeah, the guy, exactly. Trying, you know, like all the movies that uh, see that, that's why I always feel. Um, because I've been chipping away at something for well, I I started writing something back in 2007, and uh, I haven't <laughs> talked too much about it. Um, it was almost therapy for how my uh, relationship was going at the time. Yeah, and uh, I've in the last couple months I've started writing a lot actually mm-hmm. and fleshing it out. So it's something that I'm probably going to be doing. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't like talking about things until they're actually in motion or I done. I understand. Um, I have a little bit of a complex about that, but I feel like the term like romantic comedy has such a bad name because yes. of Matthew McConaughey and Catherine Heigl and all those people who make these terribly generic movies where it's all about competing with the other gender or, you know, I mean, you know, the poster, you see them all the time as man and woman standing back to back with each other looking like, oh, not this one. And you know, they're going to end up together at the end of the movie. Of course. You could spend an entire podcast <laughs> listing the names Just of those to, movies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. And most of them start the same couple of people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but so I like the fact that you can make a movie that, um, doesn't have that, that is female driven that doesn't have that element of there needs to be impressing a guy or a guy ends up swooping in and saving the woman or whatever it was. It's just two women who are badass at their jobs and uh, a movie that's, that's hilarious. But also the male characters aren't dumb. No, that's they're the not shit characters. They yeah, not at all. They weren't um, ineffective characters. They weren't kind of being condescending mm-hmm. to the men necessarily. And that's one of the things I actually thought was really cool was that it was so incredibly well balanced because when you see – plenty of these movies like like I'll, I'll give an example like a movie that uh, I, I was interested in and then I rented because I was like ah why not was uh, Think Like a Man and all the guys were idiots or like mm-hmm. um, he's just not that into you which I was forced to sit through once upon a time yeah. all the guys are idiots and completely unreliable yeah. and I hate the way movies that are more female skewed tend to just frame the guys as just being stupid or ineffective or just like, I, why doesn't he understand? And, uh, I mean, granted, those are also kind of like relationship-centric um, yeah. films in the first place, but that seems to be more like when there is a female-driven movie, it tends to kind of go in that direction. I feel like the Heat didn't have any of that at all. No, it didn't, and that's what made it so great. But um, I think with things like he's uh, just not that into you, um, you have the dumb guys because you also have really horribly weak female leads and that's what i think is that like you have these it's these true. shit written characters who are like whoa is me i mean that entire movie was fucking you know it was one, it was one of the most emo movies he won't ever marry seen. me and what and then this you have this <laughs> idiot guy who's like i just want to 
ride a boat and do nothing. You know what I mean? Like stupid idiots. Mm-hmm. But the idiocy trickles down. So you have idiots leading the movie as women and then trickling down to the men who yeah. have to therefore be idiots because be they're not leading the, the movie. Men. Exactly. Or the women, rather. And I just think... Um, I think uh, you're exactly right. If we have women who it tends to be more of a, a chick movie, it always tends to be first off relationship based. You mm-hmm. rarely see a movie that has a lot of uh, female leads that's not somewhat centered around a collapsing marriage or some shit like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so yeah, you do have your dumb dumb male characters generally because I I believe that the women are not written well. And then also you know your your guy movies where you have really strongly well-written male characters always have weakly written female supporting leads who are always just like dumb idiots. Yeah. Um, whose only purpose is to serve the guy in some way. And I loved so much about the heat that, that it was like, there was no crap character in that movie. Nobody was like this feeble idiot of a person. I mean, even the albino guy was not <laughs> a weekly written character. Like they were just all strong right. characters. And as a, a female comedian you want to see more of that stuff because i you know i would like to at least see one day there be supporting roles that are actually worth going out for because the characters aren't just stupid girls you know what that's one of the things that honestly one of the lessons it's just going to be a lot of heat ass kissing going on of course yeah (laughs) (laughs) paul are you listening it might just be the name of this episode ass kissing the heat with (laughs) I, i really learned from watching that movie I didn't notice it as much with Bridesmaids, but in hindsight, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm going to credit Paul Feig only because uh, he had said in, in the commentary tracks for both movies that he really wanted certain people to be in these supporting roles. Mm-hmm. But it did kind of teach me, like, there are no throwaway roles as long as it's, if you get somebody good to be in it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Biff was in the heat. Right. <laughs> Thomas yeah. F. Wilson. Mm-hmm. And he was hilarious. And you think, wow, what's he kind of doing in a small role like that? Like, what's he in there? But he was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And all the scenes he had were great. And even all the people like um, Groundlings alumni, uh, alumnus, uh, Michael McDonald, who mm-hmm. was one of the bad guys, which is uh, almost out of characters, he admitted, yes. for uh, him to play. It's still like, it just made such an interesting character where it's uh, everybody who has any kind of dialogue, even in passing, or to get someone like Jane Curtin. In right, the movie exactly. As her mother. Mm-hmm. It's still like, even though the role is small, <laughs> if you get somebody yeah. who's, who who can bring something mm-hmm. to it, then that's amazing. So you're not just having these kind of stock, you know, like, oh, there's an Indian guy working at a cash register at the convenience store. Right, exactly. And we have to insert <laughs> yeah. them. And like, all oh, the guy cops are stupid. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like that, where it's, um, like I said, everyone's ineffective. So that's one of the things I learned. I was like, wow, if you get somebody who can actually bring something to a role, then there doesn't there won't necessarily be a smaller role or it won't necessarily be beneath somebody because as long as they can make it interesting and they can bring something to it, then everybody wins. <laughs> yeah. And I think that just goes back to the writing too. You know, if you write, if you write a character who's not even as strong as they end up coming off on, on screen, but at its base is a, is a well-rounded person you write all your characters to be three-dimensional right that gives the actors so much room to work with and then you can just let them wide open and i mean look at joey mcintyre in that movie i was like what the hell is he yeah. doing here for the love of god but he was fucking hilarious he was. he was great i didn't even know that he had the ability to be funny and yeah. um to just come out like that i mean his character had what i mean 10 minutes of screen time if we're talking of you know an extended <laughs> right. period of time right. and um he's memorable because he's a solid three-dimensional character. And, and I appreciate that. And you're exactly right. I mean, that movie proved there are no small characters in films if you cast and if you write correctly. So right. it's just, um, I just have, obviously we have the utmost 
respect. <laughs> yeah, just so every, everything that went into that. Is brown nosing like, wow, the heat just this now. This is totally it's fine. It was. It really was something that was educational, and it even helped to make me say. I need to step up the stuff that I'm doing. And I love having those reference Mm -hmm. points where I look at it and say, all right, I want to do something like that. Like Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that keeps me inspired when I see, because there's only so many comedies you can see where it's okay. can kind of see where this is going, where you have something like this, which is, and and it's nothing to do with the fact that it's R rated or raunchy or or whatever it is, or women being raunchy, not even that, but just as a movie, it's just incredibly strong doesn't have like a, a week half hour in the middle where you're like, okay, can we just get back to shooting people in the balls, please? Exactly. Like it's, it, exactly. You're watching the movie and you're just entertained the whole time where it's every scene is almost like a sketch that always has a payoff. Mm-hmm. There's exactly. always a laugh in every scene and it's like there isn't just like stupid – exposition where one character saying well what's going on is there's a person who's dealing the drugs on the street and oh, there's this like a scene of forced yep. exposition mm-hmm. like in every 80s action movie uh I, that, they were so like, good though it uh, yeah like oh, that that was fine for the time but i love like the the, the bar's been raised at least as far as i'm concerned oh, when yeah. it comes to writing something and um producing a, a final result that just has so much quality to it. I, I love it. I can't say enough good things about that movie. Clearly, you can either. So it's no, and, even and better I, to have this conversation. Challenging uh, mediocrity, I think, is always a beautiful thing. And um, <laughs> yeah. with comedy especially, uh, I think so many mediocre movies get made because there's no challenge to be better because we keep making these half-assed comedies. Right. Yeah, and, generic uh, comedies are supposed to just appeal to everybody exactly. and end up appealing to nobody. Exactly, because, because people are trying to cast such a wide net instead of really targeting a smaller audience. And then, you know, I mean, it'll get infectious and great. So I think it's, I think you're exactly right. Something like The Heat coming along as a writer challenges you to say, okay, people are actually trying to step up their game somewhere. Right. So mediocre shit is not acceptable. Right. I need to, I, I need I to need step to up better. my own game. Yeah, exactly. And, and if it can be done then I can't just sit aside and say, well, nobody's writing good shit, so I guess I can write a half-assed script yeah. and see what happens, you know? Um, so it's it's nice to to almost have a challenge without it directly being a challenge to you, so it's, it's good. Yeah, it is, definitely. All right, let's transition over to, uh, in a not-so-smooth way. <laughs> not into, at all. Uh, yeah, into the holidays. Exposition. <laughs> Speaking of forced exposition, let's talk about the let's holidays. Do it. Because we're two days away for Christmas. Um as I said at the beginning of the show, this is supposed to be uh, more of a bigger, uh, well, let's say ensemble. Hell, why not? Yeah. <laughs> While we're talking about it, should have been, yeah. Uh, kind of uh, an ensemble show about the holidays and all that. But you have some holiday stories, which are um, possibly Griswold esque, possibly some funny. Some of them, sure, yeah. Possibly, possibly crazy. Let's hear it. Lay it on us. Um, I think uh, one of my favorites is um, when I was in high school, we'd moved back to South Carolina, and my dad wanted to build this big house. So we, we built this house or whatever, and, um, it had vaulted ceilings in the living room. So I think there were like something ridiculous, 18, 19 foot ceilings. It was huge. And so my dad always wanted Christmas trees were always such a big deal picking it out and it had to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. he always wanted to like outdo the year before. So we get in this new house and it's giant. And, um, we get this tree and I don't even remember how we got it home. Cause it was such a shit show getting it, picking it out. My sister and I were, I think I was probably 15. Stephanie was maybe 12 or 13. So it was just such a shit show picking it out anyways. Cause everything we'd pick out, my dad would be like, no, that would look so stupid in the living room. Cause the living room is so fucking huge. <laughs> and then we'd just be like, Oh my God, by the time we picked out the tree, we were just like, we don't even care about the tree anymore. <laughs> um, we just want to be done. We just want to be done. It's a 14 foot Christmas tree, which is just, 
asinine. Who needs a 14-foot tree at Christmas? I don't fucking know. Um, Who's going to put up the star? I don't know. It was so ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're like, you know, my dad's all excited. We got this 14-foot Christmas tree. I don't even remember how we got it home. We get it inside. Of course, there's, you know, 14 feet of pine needles everywhere. <laughs> he starts to string the lights on this thing, and my sister and I are over it at this point. We've been treeing for a while. So we're watching TV. My dad is swearing so loudly that we can't even hear what we're watching because he's trying to light this giant ass tree. Mm. And, uh, we hang ornaments. He's got to get a big ass ladder out so we can actually reach the rest of the tree, come to light the tree. And it's, we would alternate between my sister and I on who put the star on the tree and plugged it in. And I think it was my sister's turn this year. Uh, to preface this, I um, am not an overly tall individual. My sister is 5'1 on a good day. She's itty bitty. <laughs> and um, my dad brings her up to the second floor of our uh, house on a balcony where the tree is out maybe a good six feet from the balcony mm-hmm. and is trying to tell my sister that he's going to like hang her over the balcony to put the star <laughs> on this fucking tree. And my sister is like, no, I'm not going to do it. And this is supposed to be, you know, a lovely family tradition of putting the star on the tree. And right. it turns into a debauchery of crying and <laughs> my dad swearing because my sister is too chicken shit to let him hang her over 14 feet of balcony on the second floor of our, our house with a 14 foot fucking Christmas tree. That's half decorated because who has enough ornaments to light a 14 foot, you know, to decorate yeah, to a 14 foot tree and all this shit and tree. there's lights everywhere and stuff. So my dad ends up getting pissed off and the whole thing ends up uh, being such a clusterfuck because he ends up getting mad and trying to like half cock the star on the tree himself. And it just ended up getting, it was Hires a, a helicopter to airlift Oh it God, in. it was <laughs> such a shit. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I was like, well, we need to cut the top of the house off now so we can hang the damn star on the tree. Um, so that was, uh, that was kind of crazy. Oddly enough, uh, that same Christmas we got, um, my sister got some, uh, a big gift. I don't remember what it was. My mom was like, uh, if you could have anything you want, your sister right now is outweighing you. My parents are always really good about trying to make sure that, each person, each kid had the equal amount of presents. Oh, that's cool. So that nobody would get pissed off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is, I'm very lucky in that regard. Uh, my mom says to me, what would you want for Christmas if, uh, cause your sister's outweighing you by a couple presents. If you could have anything you want, what would it be? And I said, I'd want another dog. We had, we had one dog to begin with. Uh, her name was Taffy and she was this shit show behind 57 mix. She was this big, like roly poly dog on these little tiny skinny legs. And she was the best dog I've ever had in my whole life. I adored her. And, um, she was part pit though. So she's very protective of her family. I said, I want another puppy. And my mom was like, okay, that's not happening. We don't need another dog, whatever. So, um, Christmas morning comes, they got us another puppy and my sister and I are celebrating this adorable little, like, puff of a cotton ball of black lab dog and we picked her up and we're like kissing her little face and my other dog we're sitting on the floor like shoulder to shoulder to each other my other dog sticks her head through shows all of her teeth almost bites the new puppy's face (laughs) my my dad is like this is going well so it was just uh, that whole christmas just became sort of like a first christmas in the new house and it became Mm -hmm. a giant clusterfuck as it as it should be because you know the only thing that didn't happen was the tree didn't set on fire griswold style so um (laughs) i think that's one of my my very favorite christmas memories is is that whole extravaganza and every year we were in that house he tried to outdo himself the tree size (laughs) and every year my mom would remind him Remember what happened last year with the star? Yeah. At some point, the roof has to come off. Exactly. It's just, you have to just like, say, 
Enough is enough. Or you build a house around a really tall <laughs> exactly. tree somewhere else. Exactly. Like, this is where we're going to be Christmas morning. Yeah. So, uh, so that was probably my favorite uh, Christmas memory. You know, Christmases now are, are so crazy. Being an adult is weird at Christmas because now you have to, if you don't live where your family is, you have to go travel. And so Christmas becomes yeah. a stressful holiday instead of a yeah, relaxing thing. Yeah, when the hell thing. does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking somewhere around 18, 19, once you leave for college or wherever you Once you leave the to, nest, I guess, yeah, the exactly. first time. Yeah, you kind of have that thing where it's, I got to get home and I have to get all the stuff done before I go home. Exactly. I'm even doing that. And as of, as of, obviously, while we're recording this, I'm preparing to leave right. in a couple of days. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to be gone for this amount of time. I already started packing. How sick is that? Mm-mm. I don't leave for three more days. And I'm th- see, but it makes total sense. You have to be prepared, yeah. Where I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to need this. I know I'm going to need that. I'm going to be away from all that. And I've gotten to the point, too, where especially being 3,000 miles away from home, mm-hmm. here we are sitting at my computer now. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to have my computer. Yeah, as, as much as I hate how dependent I am on it, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to have it. What am I going to need? And I'm going to go home with like an, a pillowcase full of flash drives yeah. with everything exactly. I have on it. Just knowing, like, I'm, I know I'm going to need something. I'm going to need some stuff for this. And uh, probably not. But yeah, I already have that anxiety about what if I need such and such? Or what are the things I need to do before I go home? Mm-hmm. And uh, am I going to get this holiday show done? Because if not, am I going to do one when I get in Jersey? Yeah. And all that. Even with trying to get uh, tonight organized. Or have you even started shopping? Uh, I've done a decent amount, but I'm not finished. Oh, I'm very impressed. I never <laughs> shop. If I get to go home for Christmas, I never shop beforehand. I always do it when I get there because then you got to figure out how to get presents across there. And now with TSA, if you yeah. carry anything on, it can't be wrapped in that's, such a mess. That's part of it. So then I, of course, have to fight week before Christmas shopping crowds, and that makes you homicidal at best. I am actually trying to cheat the system, too, because anything if I am ordering anything online, uh, particularly from Amazon... As of now, because there isn't an Amazon warehouse in New Jersey, you don't get charged tax. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So I'm thinking, oh. ooh, I could shave a couple bucks That's off brilliant. of every order. Um, <laughs> and I get the free two-day shipping with uh, Amazon anyway because of a Prime amazing. account. So I thought, I'm going to be home a, week, home a week before Christmas. I'll have enough time to actually order stuff, get it there, and uh, not need to sweat out tax. I think there's one. I think there's going to be a distribution center opening in the next like year or two over there. So it's mm. probably the last time I will get to do it. But take advantage I, I'm now, right? Be, yeah, I'm being methodical about it in that respect because yeah. I think, all right, I'll have a little bit more uh, money. I also won't be working as much uh, being away from here. Right. The, yeah. I won't be working the the day job. Of course, the day job, yes. which doesn't involve us uh, waiting tables or preparing coffee. So no, that, it does that's not. We're succeeding in that regard, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it does. It does. It changes at some point in time. And and my parents split up. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was nineteen, so um, that added an extra layer of Christmas oh, shit yeah. showing because then you got to balance out who's doing Christmas where, when, and making sure you're you know dividing time right appropriately yeah, I can't and tough uh are, are they in close proximity to each other yeah my dad only lives um 40 like 45 minutes from my mom so it's not uh it's not that bad but now i have a niece my sister um my niece is uh 20 months old that threw a curveball in last year because my sister was <laughs> like i'm not traveling we have a baby you guys can come see us so mm-hmm. that ended up uh kind of actually working out and um and to be fair my dad has been uh more than gracious and we always end up doing christmas on a different day when i go home but uh on occasion We'll try to smash three different Christmases into one day, and it just gets... Yeah, and I, now you're just stacking a bunch of trips on yeah. just the, the, the stock of one trip that yep. everybody takes. Yeah, and then I need to... You know, you go home for 10 days, and you need a two-week vacation afterwards so you can figure your life back out again. But uh, yeah. but I wouldn't trade it because I do love it. Um, 
last year was really great because my niece had her first Christmas that she was actually aware of. Kind of, yeah. I mean, well, it was her first Christmas, anyways, because she was born in April. But uh, oh, okay. Um, she was just old enough. She's about eight and a half months old, and um, she was actually kind of starting to get the idea of opening presents. Mm. Um, so it was it was a lot of fun to see her get. All of her, my sister's house looked like the wrapping paper aisle at Target. <laughs> it was, there were boxes and just a monsoon. Oh my God. It was out of control. I was like decor. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I was like, do you need help cleaning this up? And she's like, I'll deal with it later. And I was like, that's great news. I'm going to go to sleep. You're just going um, to get a push broom, put it exactly. all in the corner and crumple it up. And well, my niece is so little. Yeah, exactly. My niece is so little because my sister's so small. So my mm-hmm. niece is buried in the middle of all this stuff. We're like, where is the baby? <laughs> you know, in the middle of all this stuff. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Of course, she uh, got this walker thing and on the front of it, it had like all these buttons that she could play with. And mm-hmm. three minutes into playing with her new toy, she falls down and cracks her head on the floor and starts screaming so it's christmas music playing in the background fire going the dog's freaking out because there's paper and shit everywhere and the baby's screaming because <laughs> she just hit her face on the floor and it's just i was just like there's nothing about this that i would trade in a million years <laughs> everything about this is exactly as it should be yeah so uh yeah, the, the the chaos of christmas yeah that's exactly what it is you know what too i think the traveling thing uh thinking about it i think it also changes when you're responsible from getting from point A yes. to B, mm-hmm. like when you were like, for instance, for, um, not every year, but for several Christmases, uh, my, uh, mother's brother and, uh, his family lived in Virginia. It's only about a four hour drive mm-hmm. uh, from Jersey. And now, um, it's, it's different because everybody has moved since. But when I was younger, it was kind of cool thinking oh, we're going to go to Virginia. We're going to see our cousins and, you know, we're going to be in their house and their, and their house had, um, like a finished basement and all that stuff. So there was just kind of more, more room for the kids to stretch out and kind of do, go do their own thing while yeah. the adults were getting hammered. No, that didn't happen. But, uh, <laughs> or we, did it? <laughs> or did, I don't know. I was downstairs. Exactly. You were I always downstairs. wonder why they propped the chair against the basement door <laughs> when we went over. I've uh, just figured this out. But uh, it was the anticipation of like actually going somewhere and seeing family who, frankly, we, we really only saw during the holidays. Mm-hmm. Like um, during the summer, we wouldn't necessarily go down or anything like that. But the fact that everybody would kind of convene. Um, and my mother has two brothers, the other one being in Illinois. So since none of her siblings and their respective families mm-hmm. were close it was kind of cool to gather everybody in one yeah. place although i think maybe once or twice we went to my grandmother's in north jersey but uh even then it's like it's still christmas for you because you're a kid and you're not buying anybody gifts yep so you're getting the gifts and you don't need to drive yeah so all i had to make sure i had was a double a batteries for my walkman for the exactly, drive yeah. and i was good <laughs> i didn't have to worry about a thing so now i think the traveling part where you're responsible for booking a flight or driving from a to b or whatever it is mm-hmm. i think that kind of changes the dynamic too where while it's still fun to, at least it's fun for me to shop and, and give gifts and all that i do oh, yeah. love that part of it much more than getting gifts uh that's more just like a, a, a fringe benefit i look of at course yeah as, i think that's a big part of it where uh when when you're actually the one making the plans and trying to organize everything mm-hmm. in that window in between where most people are on their own, but before they have families of their own, mm-hmm. kind of the, the magic of Christmas converts to stress <laughs> and yeah. everything that's involved in the holidays tends to get uh, more, more intense, more chaotic because of everything that goes into you with whatever your life is where you've planted yourself yep. and then making it back to, to family for whatever period of time, three mm-hmm. weeks in my case, or uh, Whatever it may be, everything just kind of goes into it on top of just seeing family. As much as we romanticize it, too, I think it's the other part of it. I get along great with my parents, I have to say. So uh, I'm looking forward to going home and spending a few weeks with them. But 
you, I think everybody idealizes, especially the holiday season, because oh, yeah. it is like, oh, it's the happiest time of the year and all this other stuff. Um, but it's also different when you're in the midst of it. Yeah. Well, I adore my family. My family and I are very close. I I, uh, I love them very much, but it's uh, it's still one of those things where you, um, when you go home to visit for an extended period of time, you realize how very much so you could never live with those people ever again. Oh, yeah. And all of those things become very apparent. My mom and I have this conversation every time I go home for a period of time because she'll always just be like, I love you so much, but we can't live together ever again. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. And she's like, we just we just can't. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, just that whole idea of exactly the romanticism of the whole idea of like, my family at Christmas is yeah, so wonderful. And it Christmas. never works out the way you want it to. It's always yeah. like a mess. Dinner's late and the baby's crying <laughs> and there's shit everywhere and it's raining and it's cold. And, you know, my family all lives in South Carolina now. So um, the weather is so hit or miss. But, um, yeah, you know, there's... Jersey. It's yeah, oh yeah. Well, you yeah, that's a it's risky <laughs> yeah. business. It's, yeah, it yeah. really really is. But it's a time honestly I wouldn't trade and, and some of the best funniest most ridiculous moments have oh, come out of that time and just it's just a lot of fun and I remember uh my sister to this day, it's different now because she's got a kid, but uh when we were still to the point where neither one of us were settled down with a significant other and she didn't have any kids or anything like that. And, um, I would come home for Christmas still as like a 20 something year old. My sister would make me up at four o'clock in the morning because <laughs> she'd be so excited about Christmas. And, um, we'd always have some small radio playing a radio station that had Christmas music on. And we'd just lay in bed for a few hours and just talk and be excited. And I'd be like, why the hell did you wake me up at four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> Stephanie, we are way too old for this shit. And she'd just be like, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited. And it's just like those little moments that at the time I was cursing her because I was like, yeah, it's you're like, four well, in the morning. Off. Fuck. I actually get to sleep in today. Exactly. <laughs> I don't have up. to wake up and you're ruining everything. Uh, <laughs> now I later look back on it. And I'm like, those were some of my favorite memories because yeah, you know, it's like those three hours with my sister before my parents, uh, before my mom or my dad, who's ever house we were at, would allow us to be like, hey, it's Christmas, wake up. Yeah. Uh, we're just really precious, perfect little moments. But uh, It is. Yeah. yeah. And you're never going to remember the sleep, but you'll remember a light. Exactly. Right, she used to wake me up. Yeah. And we, we'd kind of talk and get excited and all that. And we used to, cl- when we were little, we used to do that. She'd come in my room, wake me up, and we had to lay in bed, and we had to have coffee and tea for my parents before we would go in. Uh, this is when we were little, before they split up, and um, we, we weren't allowed to wake them up before a certain time, so we'd cover our eyes, and we walk past the Christmas tree, so we wouldn't see anything. <laughs> and then we'd get in the kitchen, and we'd make their coffee and tea, and then we'd take it in, and they'd be like, we'd be sitting on the bed waiting for them to wake up, and my mom would be like, because uh, you know they've been up all night Groggy and- <laughs> wrapping presents and shit and uh, eventually they'd be like go and we'd just take off and it was just uh, you know just good memories and moments mm-hmm. and uh, yeah yeah there was a point I guess it must have been when my sister my sister's three years older than me so it must have been when we were in our 20s when things changed from wake up early and start it may have been before I'm just saying it probably was 20s at the point mm-hmm. where she was in college and I was working or, or we were both working and uh when it turned into, ah, get to sleep till 10. And since I did retail for so long, <laughs> yes. I would I would have to be up early on on the morning of the 26th to handle the holiday returns because mm. the stores are always open early. To, mm-hmm. No one knows why, but they would. And um, at some point it changed from wake up, open presents to, <laughs> I'm going to put this one on my father, that uh, it became wake up, all right, let's eat breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My father still looks, and he makes such a, he doesn't make a huge production of it, yeah. but it's still like, I'm going to have this for breakfast on Christmas morning, and uh, 
you know, I'm, he's going to get uh, special uh, breakfast sausage. He'll he'll go somewhere to get something. It's That's why the day is special for him. Like yeah. he looks at it as I get to have a really big breakfast, mm-hmm. and usually we end up spending it with uh, his family at. Um, a bunch of my cousins and all that get together nearby, and that's a lot of fun to be able to do that. So uh, it is, it, it's good. It's a good time. It's just funny that that changed over from wake up and, and run rap presents oh, and yeah. all that and do that whole thing to, uh, all right, Dad said breakfast is ready. We better get <laughs> Yeah, and it's the only time in my life ever, too, that I love to eat that I let myself be starving for a long time because mm-hmm. my sister waking me up at four o'clock and but we wouldn't eat breakfast until 10 because my dad, we'd open presents first and my dad make a huge same kind of deal, big, mm-hmm. uh, big giant breakfast. And I didn't care. I'd be like, I'm so hungry and I can't even function, but I need to open all of these things. Right. All of the things need to be open and in my lap all at the same time. And now it's different. It's, it's also different now too. Um, I was just talking about this with me, my fiance the other day that the idea of getting presents when you're an adult is different my mom and my whole family is just, you know, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea what I want for Christmas. I don't want to ask for things I need because that's boring. Uh, <laughs> it is. I'm so tempted to still ask for socks. Every exactly. Year, I'm like, <laughs> I can like, use All right, new this. socks. Exactly. Um, what, that, that's such a 180 from when you're growing up and you're like, socks. Yeah, exactly. Somebody gives you clothes and you're like, this is stupid. Yeah, this is stupid. I need I'm more like, action s- figures and video games. <laughs> exactly. You don't give me clothes. Give me animals that are alive. Get, uh, yeah, I can get clothes before school starts in September. Why do you give me clothes in them? Exactly. When I'm supposed to be getting the cool stuff. Exactly. But now it's like, I can't even think of one thing I want because as a grown-up, you, if you want something, you generally you go get, get it. Uh, yeah, that's and So then the Christmas comes part. around and you're like, I don't know what I want, <laughs> you know, and so you end up with the most random smattering of gifts yeah, because a, you don't know that. Yeah, a few friends of mine did a uh, wish list this year and they wanted to do it and I actually didn't provide them with one just because I was trying to think, oh, what stuff that I, I didn't get myself already? Yeah, just exactly. I'm an adult. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I want something, I go get it. I don't need to save stuff for the big gift anymore because mm-hmm. I can just go get it myself. I don't need to sit on waiting for something like the heat on Blu-ray because I got yeah. it two months ago. When <laughs> exactly. It I was going to save that for Christmas. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm going to buy it at 8 a.m. on the day it comes out, which I did. And uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's literally just thinking like, well, what didn't I get myself? But I'm always going to need razor blades and socks and, and stupid things like that. I mean, for a while, and I've, people laugh when I say this, but um, my favorite snack still is uh, is um, just tortilla chips and salsa. So for a while, my parents would just get me a couple jars of salsa, put them in the stocking, and <laughs> yeah. just there'd be bags of chips under the tree. And I'm like, yeah! You're scoring the so, jackpot. Yeah, it's like, I mean, this maybe 10 years ago when they were doing it, because at that point, I'm you know working full-time, and I'm just buying... All the DVDs I want, and exactly. CDs, and all that. So they're like, well, we don't know what the hell to get them because we don't know what he has already. There's so much of it. So uh, they would get those, and just be like, oh, cool. Well, I did just buy the new season of South Park, so I'm going to sit and eat these chips and watch South Park <laughs> for like nine hours. Oh, tomorrow after I get home from work because I know we, I need to actually put on something that isn't a pair of jeans. And right. Meet exactly. up with the family for dinner. <laughs> I just um, when I, in my late teens, it was always movies. I would have you know a list of page and a half long of all the movies that I wanted on DVD and now it's like I just buy them so I feel like I tell people things that I only sort of want Yeah, because I'm like yeah. I guess if you were to get me something this would be okay <laughs> I found myself doing that too where I thought maybe I didn't get this CD when I was thinking about putting a list together for yeah. my friends this year I thought I do kind of want this and then I thought I don't want to ask him for something that I'm going to like half appreciate. Yeah, exactly. I won't be appreciative but like I won't use it like as much as I might be curious I might say like it'd be nice to have that Anything I really want, I kind of have it already. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, and then everybody goes, well, I'll just get you a gift card to so-and-so so you can get what you want. And you're like, 
All right. You're going to make me do the work? <laughs> Come on, man. Just get me the thing that you think I want. Mm-hmm. That's what I normally tell my mom. That's what I, my mom's least favorite thing is. I'll just be like, Mike, get creative. She's like, Candace. Go get your own stuff. Go get your own shit. Don't, do don't be this. creative. Yeah. Come on, tell me what you want. You go get it. <laughs> Come up with something that I'm like, sure, this I could get excited about this, theoretically. I've actually gotten to the point where I get my parents gift cards because they're so different. I mean, my mother has always said, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. Oh, yeah, the she parents gives me such a hard time about that. So if I get them gift cards to restaurants, though, they will use them yeah. within six months. Um, as long as I remind them that they have, oh, I know we're going to wait for, wait for what? Go, go to a free dinner. Like, who cares? Like, yeah. Like, what are you going to wait for? Like their anniversary is in October. Like, yeah, please don't, don't wait, that wait long. Yeah. another 10 months to, uh, <laughs> to use this thing. Like, will you just, you two just go to Olive Garden one night. All right? Exactly. Just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, I didn't have to pour my blood, sweat and tears into getting you this $50 gift card, but just go to dinner, please. Exactly. <laughs> don't save it for something special. Yeah. So I've actually become... I've actually had this affection now for giving them gift cards. I figure, well, can't lose. I mean, I get my dad canisters of coffee because he's just drinks coffee all the time. Yeah, I got my stepdad um, Dunkin' Donuts coffee last year. I was like, and he was like, thank you. And I was like, what have we come to? <laughs> that coffee is like an exciting thing to yeah, get. Yeah, it's just, and same thing. It's one of those necessities like, I don't need to buy it now. Exactly, <laughs> you know? I got a couple canisters of Folgers and he's set. Yeah. And then I don't need to sweat it and neither does he. I do like to give gift cards. I am into that, but I hate getting them because then... It makes me. It yeah, it comes off like, like you I didn't have to put in like, any effort. Well, no, I don't even think that because you know sometimes it's like somebody gives you a gift card and they're like, I don't know what you want, you don't know what you want, so here's this and you can figure yeah. it out. And I appreciate that, but I'm really bad at uh, shopping with gift cards because I I tend to be like, well, I really want this, but I wonder if it'll be cheaper in like two months. Slash also, this thing is also really cute, and then I just do this whole thing where I'm like. I can't go outside of the gift card limit, which mm-hmm. is dumb. I have my own money because I'm a grown-up, henceforth why I have no Christmas <laughs> list. Yeah. And so this is what happens to me when I get gift cards. But I do like to give them because I, I do like to, you know, I think I sent my parents on a to see a show and had dinner, you know, one Christmas, and they loved that. They thought it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I've so. done that, too. I've given my parents tickets to, to stuff before. You know, it's funny, actually, you, you saying the gift card thing did remind me. It wasn't the worst gift I got, but it was almost like a like a backhanded gift, a gift with a caveat to a degree. This is going back a couple of years. Um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, her parents gave me a gift card to the Gap because they didn't like that I just wore a t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> That's and they rude. wanted me to get some, quote, real clothes. <laughs> oh, and I no. thought, thanks, I think. Uh, I guess I'm going to go get something with buttons and a collar, right? I mean, uh. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't bad. I mean, not that I didn't appreciate it. I mean... What did I do? I bought two pairs of jeans from the cat. Right, of course, it. yeah. So I did, not to spite them, but I thought, here's what I'm actually going to use. Like, I get the intention to a certain degree, but I thought, wouldn't you want to give me something that I'm actually going to put to use? Yeah, underhanded Christmas gifts are never cute. Yeah, I, I did, uh, that was, I mean, it's, it's funny now, but at the time I thought, huh, okay. <laughs> That's that moment where you're like, <laughs> it's like, thanks. wow, thanks. That's my least favorite part. Of Christmas. Of having to be grateful for, well, or show appreciation for things that you are less than thrilled about. Yeah. It's like, you know, your, your immediate family is generally pretty good at, at Christmas gifts because they've known you for your whole life. So oh, they yeah. know whether or not you're going to be like, this is stupid. And they're up to speed on like what you have, what you want. Exactly. More often than not. And also, you don't have to generally fake it with them. Yeah. You can be like, no. And they'll be like, it's okay. Ah, I got this the, the one. Yeah. Or, oh, this isn't my size. Exactly. But it's like, you, you, start to get in that place where you get Christmas gifts from people that don't know you as well. 
as you'd like them to. Oh, like to. Secret Santa's at work yes. in the past. That's always dri- driven me crazy. I'm like, I don't know what. Every, all she does is talk about her kids. I, I want to get her something that she's going to end up spending on her kids. Yep. I don't know what she likes. <laughs> yep. And then you have to, and then you have to put on that face that like, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And that awkward place of, I'm really bad at that. So I generally don't yeah. like to put myself in positions where there's gift giving for people that I don't know very well or that don't know me very well. Um, cause that's the, the other awkward, super awkward part of Christmas is yeah, that place. Oh, it is. Actually, actually, that reminds me of a, a funny gift, which I almost like the blanket gift where everybody gets the same thing. Like this one woman, yes. because I was a, I was a cashier supervisor for years and she, not that I expected any of the cashiers to actually give us gifts, but some did, or some would like bake cakes or pie or cupcakes or something like that and bring them in Christmas Eve. It was like for us, just like, Oh, thank you. And Merry Christmas and all that, which was really cool. But, uh, this, this one woman would get, um, this she would just get a case of wine and everybody would just all of us would just get a bottle of wine. Now I don't drink much in the first place, but right. I don't drink wine either. But uh, the first year that uh, I was her supervisor, I was twenty years old, so I was like, <laughs> I don't think I can walk out with a bottle of wine and end up giving it to my uh, my parents and said like, uh, here you go. <laughs> Here's this gift that I'm not legally allowed to it. do anything with. Yeah. So that was actually pretty funny that she did. I mean, she she just wasn't phased by it. She didn't consider it like, oh, you're not 21. I can't give you a bottle of wine. It's just like, everybody's getting a bottle of wine. Okay. Done, <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was actually kind of cool. And every year I got a bottle of wine from her, by the way. <laughs> That's amazing. After. I appreciate her for that because it's just easy. Then it she really also is. probably has no stress. She just grabs, you know, 15 bottles of wine and is done. Yeah. And that's it. And at the same, and, and you know what? Totally appropriate as well. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, it's a holiday. People get together here, drink this. Yeah, my um, dad's mom, my grandma used. To, oh, speaking of weird, funny gifts, <laughs> I am uh, kind of creeped out by dolls. <clears throat> really, uh, Chucky was not a good uh, time for me. Tell me about it. Um, and she had a doll room in her house that um, I always ended up sleeping in when we would come to visit, which I hated because <laughs> it was terrifying and my sister and I could never sleep because all the dolls were looking at us. And for some reason, she was big into like investment gifts. Let me get you something that one day is going to be some sort of investment. Mm, okay. I see. So she would buy me, my sister, and my two, I have two uh, girl cousins as well. Um, and then we have a whole litany of boys. But um, <laughs> we would every single year, each of us get a porcelain doll that looked like us in a different outfit. And it would get like older and older per year oh, as we wow. get older. And every fucking Christmas, I'd have to be like, thank you. This is terrifying. <laughs> You know, and I and as I got older, because when you're younger, you know, you open gifts, and if you don't like them, you're like, thanks. Yeah, you know, and nobody pays box. attention because you have ADHD worse than anything. And then you start <laughs> to get older, and people want to see your reactions because you're old enough to contain yourself yeah. now. And then I just have to look at my mom and be like, Oh no, what do I do? And then we'd have to go to sleep in the doll room, and it would just be I mean, the worst. Creepy dolls do you have? <laughs> Like, how many years did you get them for? Do you have, like, five of them? Like, with the, oh, no, your likeness? Oh, no, no. I think I had... I don't have them anymore. Um, <laughs> no way. Got rid of them. I have... I had, before I got rid of them, I think I gave, like, probably 12 or 13. 
away. Yeah. (laughs) It was not a joke. Okay. I mean, my mom for the longest time was like cursing at my sister and I once we left the house because she had like 20 something of these dolls in her storage place because we never take them with them with us because she'd be like, you need to take your dolls with you. And I'd be like, no, I'm not taking that shit to my house. Have you seen all of the movies? No, I'm not taking that. And um, she would get so frustrated. Your dolls are still in the attic. And I'd be like, I know that. And I am safe from them with them That's in your where attic. Scary mom. toys live. Exactly. They live in the attics and in the attic. Yeah. And so every year it would just be, you know, something creepier and creepier. And it was just such a, like a weird gift. But she'd be like, one day these are going to be worth something. And I'd be like, why? To who? To- if they look like you. Exactly. I'm like, they're. Also, just, it's creepy when you're a kid to look at something that looks like you. Yeah, that is a little That's porcelain. That's a weird. They don't blink. They just stare at you. <laughs> and I grew up on Goosebumps, so dolls are just like a horrible... It's just it's just not, you know... The series of books where the dummy comes to life. Exactly, you know? It's <laughs> always at that creepy them. toy shop, and Night the porcelain doll's dummy. like, meh. Yeah. Yeah, so that the was doll, my... doll walking saying, mama. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was my life for, Every... like... 13, 14 years. Christmas. Exactly. That's hilarious. So it was, uh, that was whew, a time. All those dolls. So that well, was. Well, I can't blame you for getting rid of them. That's for sure. Yeah. That's, they needed to that's go. Just creepy. Well, my mom was going to force me to take them at one <sighs> point. She was like, you're not leaving this house now without making a decision of what's, what's happening with these dolls. And I was like. <laughs> just drop them all from a second story window okay. on their head. Shh. I just gave them the goodwill. Shattered Candace, and they start a band and name it Shattered Candace. Oh God, that was a wasted opportunity. There was right. See, you missed a trick on that one. Shit. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Now some other creepy. Now some (laughs) other kid is getting creeped out by it, so that's fine. Um, (laughs) But uh, they live. They do the next generation of the the creepy dolls. (laughs) (laughs) When they come back and find me all the way in LA, and they're haunting me in Studio (laughs) City. You think you see them? Game over. Yeah, in in your window. It's like I swear, I just saw a doll. (laughs) Exactly. I can't sleep at night because yeah. all the dolls are on my balcony. I just saw Christmas 1997 out the window. <laughs> it's really just <laughs> awful. So bad. Oh, gosh. Ridiculous. I think that was probably the, the worst gift. That's got to be the worst string of gifts I've and, ever heard And of. yeah, it was like an ongoing <laughs> extravaganza. Like and all it would be the worst because if all four of us, the girl cousins, all of us were in the same place, we'd all be opening them at the same time because she thought it was a big fun production. So we'd all be like looking at each other, why is this happening? Do you know what kids like? Yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask her. Listen, do you know what kids like? You know. I mean, girls like dolls. Yeah, but not, not like these. Yeah, I was never a girl that was into dolls anyway. So I, why you would even... I don't know, but maybe she wanted to stand... I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing I mean, just, it, it might be kind of special if you did it once. Right, like and we all had a doll. Like, hey, you yeah. all have a kind of a doll of yourself. Well, there you go. But to do it every year and just varying the outfit for a long time. Yeah, not not nearly as cool. Yeah, it was. Um, it was just weird. It was creepy, but you know, <laughs> she had like fifty of these dolls made over the years. Yeah, and I don't know where she that got them. Crazy. I don't know, and I don't know why she thought they were going to be worth money one day. But um, <laughs> creeping me out for a lot. Exactly. <laughs> it's like. Fucking Frankenstein. Yeah, it's like in a guy that looks like Vincent Price is in day. there constructing these dolls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like January 2nd, <laughs> pre- prepping the next year's dolls. Takes the entire year plucking yeah, actual real hair from little perfect. girls all over the world. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Day by day, by the time December 24th comes around, he's yeah. got a full head now of hair. Four full heads of hair <laughs> for these dolls. 
We that just turned creepy. that whole thing into some sort we of did, creepy serial killer sort of thing. Yeah, we just, yeah, we just turned this into, into this really, we took it to a dark place. Oh, but Even anyways. worse than the dolls in the first place. That is true. No, you've, you didn't look into their glossy eyes. <laughs> Nothing was worse than their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you folks could see the look on her face. PTSD right now. Yeah. Christmas dolls. People are driving in their holiday event listening to this right now, and they're just like... <laughs> That sucks. I hope one of you gets a a doll for Christmas. Yeah, please. Somebody needs to. And if so, please, please email in and let us know because (laughs) that would be too funny. Just don't send a photo. Please don't send a photo. (laughs) Don't send a photo. If you have a doll made in your likeness. Don't send a photo. Yeah, not interested. Dear God. Don't steal our idea because we're going to write a a scary Christmas movie. Oh, it's going to be amazing. It will be amazing. We could just call the movie Shattered Candace. And that'll be fine. I'm telling you, that's a winner. It would have been a really we good better, game. We're actually, but before we sign off, I think we just need to buy ShatteredCandice.com. That's it. Just be done and with just, it. Yeah. And just, because someone's going to hijack it. It is. There are trolls on the internet. It's... And someone's going to grab it and just be like, oh, mine now, bitches. Don't be bastards, so, you guys. Yeah, please. It's a holiday season, all right? It is. Ho, ho, ho. Mistletoe and, and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's the holidays. Well, apologies if you're trying to go to sleep tonight and all you can think of are scary porcelain dolls. <laughs> or maybe you're afraid you're going to wake up and see them Christmas morning. Someone will have a doll in your likeness. That's, oh, there's like an evil Santa leaving dolls in people's likenesses. And then they die within like seven days. It's like Santa's version of the ring. Oh my That's what God. we should do. You look into the doll's porcelain eyes and then your soul goes into the doll and it's trapped or something like that. It's like a... We just need to get off the air so we can write this, actually. Yeah, so, none uh, of you guys steal this right yeah, now. Yeah, please. Don't this is, this steal this gold, idea. All right? We've got a future Christmas classic on our hands, <laughs> and uh, we don't want anybody out there to steal it. So before you do anything else, before you shut this off, go subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please give the show five stars. Write a little review. Tell a friend. And while you're at it, when you're done with Chris Abalo's podcast experiment, at least this episode of it, Go check out The Only Podcast That Matters. I am back, or was back, for uh, last week's Christmas show, Xmas Cast 2013. So please check that out for more holiday-related insanity with me and my friends talking about more uh, perils and trials of the holiday season. One of my favorite episodes is coming up on The Only Podcast That Matters as well, which is the 2013 recap. That's going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you check that out. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also find it on Stitcher, Beyond Pod, Blackberry Podcast, etc., etc., and the home at theonlypodcast.com. Candace, thank you so much for coming in and doing the show. I do appreciate you sitting down and sharing your your holiday hilarity. Thank you, <laughs> sir, for having me. I really appreciate time, it. We'll absolutely be back in no time. Yeah. I won't be back for a couple of weeks, though, so there. Um, except for this show, folks. So thank you for listening. Until next time, for Candace Feltz, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. <laughs>